How many of you guys have put your Christmas tree up yet so far? Who's got the Christmas tree up? Those are my kind of people. Uh, I would have had my tree up uh, a couple weeks ago, but my wife told me to put some brakes on that. We had some other stuff going on. But I did get my Christmas lights put up the first weekend in November. Again, socially unacceptable for me to put my lights up before November. I don't know what's up with that, but uh, this is my favorite time of year. I love uh, going from Thanksgiving into Christmas, uh, New Year's. My, my wife and I, we have our anniversary thrown in in the middle of all that. I love the celebration. I love the ability to gather with, with family and, and, and the food and the decorations and the Christmas lights and even the music. I love the music. What is your favorite Christmas song? Anybody got a favorite? Favorite Christmas song? Anybody? Silent Night. It's a good one. I, I will admit, uh, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. It's kind of a dorky song. But when the Jackson 5 sing it, like... I love that one. I love anything put out by Pentatonix. Uh, if you want to really just enjoy your Christmas music, just go listen to the Pentatonix Christmas playlist. It is off the charts. How about this? You guys know that song, uh, Christmas Shoes? Does anybody else get teary-eyed listening to that? Yeah, me neither. But, you know, just one of those songs. <sighs> Come on now. <laughs> there is that one Christmas song that I will admit is on my playlist uh, called There's No Place Like Home for the holidays. You guys know that song? I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read the lyrics because I love you guys too much to sing it for you. It says this, there's no place like home for the holidays. No matter how far away you roam, when you long for the sunshine of a friendly gaze, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home. Doesn't that just do something inside your heart? You know, Actually, going home for the holidays is a thing. In, in 2018, uh, before the pandemic affected things, in 2018, uh, 107 million Americans traveled farther than 50 miles to go home for Christmas. And then you think about those who traveled maybe not as far. There's a lot of us that love this idea of going home for the holidays. But let me ask you this. When I say home for the holidays, what does that do inside of you? I know... For some of you, it brings up these warm memories. Like for me, when I hear home for the holidays, my mind goes back to my childhood. Now, as I've grown up into an adult, I realize like we had some hard times as a family. My mom faced some, some hard stuff. But when I think about my childhood at Christmas time, either because I choose not to remember those things or because you know how moms work so hard to make everything just right. Maybe my mom did that. But when I look back to my childhood at Christmas, I have all nothing but positive memories positive memories, you know, like uh, we used to every, every year on Christmas Eve, my mom would make a birthday cake and we'd sit around the table and sing happy birthday Jesus. I remember doing that every year. I remember the year that my parents, they got us the, the Nintendo, the original Nintendo with Super Mario Brothers. That was the coolest game ever. It still is. I remember that year at Chris, parents surprised us with that. I remember, I remember we'd always drive around looking at the Christmas lights. That's still a thing I love doing with my family. I remember the year at grandma's house when the power went out. And so that was a fun day because our dinner, we had nothing but desserts because everything else had to be cooked. So we had dessert for dinner. It was, it was, it was fun. Oftentimes for many of us, when we think about this idea of a home for the holidays, we have this childhood memories of these idyllic pictures. This idyllic picture, kind of like a Hallmark movie, right? Where everything is just in place. Go ahead and show that next picture. Uh, we have this idea of, of Christmas as being when we come home and there's safety and comfort 
and love and warmth and joy and peace and all those wonderful things. For some of us, that's what we think of when we hear home for the holidays. On the flip side, I know that there are some of us in here, some of us listening today, that when we hear home from the holidays, it's not an idyllic feeling. Your family probably puts the fun in dysfunction, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where you don't have the idyllic family picture, you more so have the National Lampoon's picture. You know, where your family, there's explosions and electrocutions and abductions and all sorts of craziness happening around your family. Home for the holidays, for some, uh, you are remembering the absence of family members. You remember broken promises of loved ones who said they'd be there and they weren't. Home for the holidays, you remember the anger and the fighting and the bitterness that existed between family members. And while we talk about this idea of home for the holidays, you might long and have this desire for, for, for a place to go home for the holidays of peace and love and comfort, but it's never, it's never something that you had in the past. It's maybe not even something you have in the present. It's always a dream for the future. Someday, I'll go home for the holidays, and we'll have this idyllic picture. This, uh, this next couple of weeks, we're going to be in a series that we're calling exactly that, Home for the Holidays. Realizing that there are some of us going home for the holidays, it's really a good experience. There's warmth, there's joy, there's love, there's all those sorts of things. And there are some of us who go home for the holidays and, uh, you know, we think about the anticipation of spending time with the in-laws. That can be a burden. We think about trying to keep our kids off the naughty list. We think about having to spend that time with that crazy aunt or uncle. And by the way, I'll just throw this in there for free. Um, If you look at your family and you're like, we don't have a crazy aunt or uncle, Chances are that's you. So just, that's free. Just think about that. That chances are it's you. But for some of us, going home for the holidays, it's not something to be enjoyed. It's something to be endured because of the brokenness and the dysfunction of your family. And so what we want to do uh, the next couple of weeks is take an opportunity to have some conversations on how we can redeem this idea of going home for the holidays giving us some practical wisdom on how to deal with the chaos and the dysfunction so that God could actually work in us and through us amongst our family this Christmas season. So this morning, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 15. I know you're saying Luke chapter 15, that's not really a Christmas story, right? There's no manger, there's no shepherds, there's no star, there's no wise men. But I love this story because the story points to our desire and our longing to go home. I think we all have this built within us, which is why that song is nostalgic, because we all have this desire to go home in some capacity. So we're looking at the story that has some wisdom towards this idea of going home, as well as it has some wisdom on how we can create homes that are filled with grace and love and hope. So Luke chapter 15, a little bit of context. Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus is responding to an accusation by the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The religious people are saying, hey, this guy Jesus, he's a bad man because he eats with sinners and he invites sinners into his home and he receives them and eats with them. And actually, uh, when you see that text, it's actually in verse 2. When, when it says that Jesus receives sinners, that, that word receive is kind of a passive word, like, oh, he just, you know, he lets them come. But in the original Greek, it goes much deeper than that. That word receives means to eagerly await, to expect or to look for. And so the idea is Jesus is eagerly seeking out sinners. In fact, a little bit, this is who Jesus is. In fact, Luke 19, 
It says Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. This is what he is about. And so the religious leaders, they accuse Jesus of, of, of welcoming sinners. And in response, Jesus tells three stories. The first two stories, he tells a story of about a shepherd who lost a sheep and goes out searching to find the sheep. He tells a story about a woman who lost a, cone, uh, who lost a coin and goes out to seek to find the coin. And both those two first two stories, the shepherd, the woman, they go out seeking the thing that's lost. It speaks to the value of people. People are valuable. They're worth seeking out. And the third story that Jesus tells in response to these uh, accusations by the religious leaders is a story we're looking at today. A story that talks about coming home. Talks about this desire for us to come home. And this is a story for those who do not have a relationship with God. This is a story for those who maybe have not been walking with God in a while. The story is that we are always welcome to come home to God the Father. In this story, it's a story about a father and two sons. The father represents God, and the two sons, it represents us. It represents humanity. You've got, you've got the younger son who's trying to figure out his life apart from God. How many of us have been there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chart the course of my life. I'm going to do, th- I don't need God. That's some of us. The, the older son represents those of us who, well, we've tried to really live a really good life. We've tried to do everything just right. You know, and God kind of owes us because we've done things just right. And maybe for those older brothers, when you try and do things just right, maybe you are a little extra critical of the younger brothers. Like, I'm so much better than you because I've done the right things. And, and, and that's the story that we are in. So here's how it starts in verse 11. Jesus says, a man had two sons. And the younger, brother said to, the younger son said to the father, give me the share of my inheritance. Give me what is coming to me. This request here, there's a lot actually said in those few words. Because what the son is asking, the son is saying this. By asking this of the father to give him his inheritance now, the son is saying, I reject you, dad. I reject you. I reject all that you stand for. I reject your religion. I reject your way of life. I even reject our relationship. Essentially, the son is saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now, dad. Again, I I always hear this story, and I want us to pause a little bit and think about, put yourself in the father's shoes. Put yourself in his shoes. The son comes to you and says, Dad, I reject you. I reject what you represent. I reject our relationship. Can you imagine the incredible hurt of that father? The pain that the father would feel? I mean, if this is you, how would you respond to your son saying this to you? And maybe let me, let me flip this. How do you think your parent would respond to you saying that to them? Some of us begin thinking and we're like, yep, my parent would respond in anger. They'd blow up at me. They'd call me an ungrateful little turd. Probably kick us out of the house. No way would our parents give in to that demand to give them their inheritance. But while we're quick to focus on the son, I want to Look at the story and look at what the father does because that's where the, 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 the beauty of the story is. Verse 12, it says, The father divided his property between the younger and the older son. And, and again, Jesus, context, Jesus is telling this to religious leaders. And the religious leaders, knowing that the father would have been a, a Jewish man, they expected the father to respond with anger. They, resp- they expected him to discipline this disobedient, ungrateful uh, son of his. 
But Jesus, in telling the story, shows that the father has an astonishing response. The father loved his son enough to give him freedom. The father loved the son enough to give the son freedom to reject the father's love. Freedom to to make wrong choices. Freedom to even potentially hurt himself in order to find himself. I mean, let's just be honest here. One of the hardest things with with family, right? One of the hardest things with family is we love family. We care for our family. We want the best for our family. And we're being honest, most of us, we know what's best for our family. And we're going to tell them exactly what I think is best for you. But here's the thing. This is something the father understood. This is something we need to understand. To some regard, we cannot control our family. We cannot control what they do. The father loved his son enough to let him go. And I want to clarify, this doesn't mean that the father didn't believe the way that he was living was was wrong. No, the father had a worldview that he believed was right. This is the right way to live. But he knew he could not force that on his son. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, the love chapter, it says love does not force its own way. The father loved his son enough to let the son tried to live life on his own. The story continues in verse 13. Not many days later, the son took all that he had and went into a far country and squandered his property away with reckless living. Again, this is where the son is a picture of how many of us, right? I mean, last week we talked about how Jesus came and Jesus said, I have come to give you life and not just regular life, I came to give you abundant life. And we like that idea. We like that idea of abundant life life. And from the beginning of time, us as humans have sought all sorts of ways to find abundant life, to fulfill, to find fulfillment and joy and peace and satisfaction and purpose. I mean, let's just be honest, there are many of us in here, and we've searched high and low to find abundant life. We've tried wealth and status and relationships and sex and substance, and relationship, and all these sorts of things. We've tried all these things to find the abundant life. And if we're going to be real honest with ourselves, ultimately those things never fully satisfy us. They don't, they, don't, they don't meet the deep longings of our heart. But the son has given the freedom to go and pursue. Verse 14 says, After he had spent all that he had, a famine arose in the land, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And while he was there, he was longing to be fed by the slop the pigs ate because no one gave him anything to eat. Again, here's his son. He's trying to find this satisfied life, this fulfilled life apart from God and realizing none of this stuff satisfies the longing of my heart. I can't find peace and love and acceptance. And so he squanders all he had. He squanders his inheritance. And ends up having to find work at a low-end job. And by the way, he's working with pigs, which would have made him an outcast in his hometown and his society. And he's so hungry, he dreams of eating the slop that the pigs are eating. Verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, I love that, when he came to himself. And I want you to see, when he comes to himself, look where his thoughts go. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food, yet here I perish with hunger? 
See, the son has hit rock bottom. And where does his thoughts go? His thoughts go home. I mean, he's rejected his home. He's rejected his father. But when his mind is clear and when he comes to his senses, his mind goes home. See, we are created for a relationship with God. That is how we are created. And our, and our family dynamic, our, our family dynamic, dynamic is supposed to be a picture of our relationship with God the Father. And so it's not surprising that one of the deepest longings of our heart, one of the deepest longings that we all have is a, is a longing for home. And for many of us, when we look at our home and our family, when it's done best, our home is a place where we feel loved, we feel accepted, we feel known, we feel cared for. At best, when we have a, a strong family and a strong home, home is a place where we don't have to put a mask on. And not because of COVID, but we, we can just be ourselves. We don't have to pretend to be better than we really are. In fact, even those of us have had a, a rough childhood, a rough home life, and we still long for home, do we not? That's why we have daddy issues. That's why we carry baggage with us, because we have this deep longing with the side of us to go home. And so here's his son who's hit rock bottom and his thoughts go back to home, to the way that even the servants were loved and cared for. So here's what the son says, verse 18. He says, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no, worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's going to ask his father to treat him as one of his servants. And I love this. Verse 20, it says, as the, as the son was coming to the father, and here's, here's the climax. Again, religious leaders listening to this story, they would expect the father to reject the son, to, to, I don't know, despise him because of the harm that the son had caused. But it says that while the son was still a ways off, the father saw him and felt compassion towards him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can finish his speech, verse 22 says, The father said to his servants, Quickly bring the best robe and put a ring on his finger and his shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Let's make some brisket. Let's eat and celebrate for my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now been found. See, this son was prepared to beg and grovel to allow his dad to, to bring him back. Dad, just treat me as a servant. But as soon as the, the father sees the boy a ways off, this is a picture of the way that Jesus views sinners. The father eagerly awaiting that idea of receiving sinners. Eagerly awaiting. He sees his son as a distance and he runs after him. Again, culturally, you got to understand the context. Culturally, an elderly Jewish man like the father in this story would never have ran. He wouldn't have picked up his robe. It's not a skirt. He wouldn't have picked up his robe to show his legs. That would have been inappropriate for this uh, dignified man to go and run. But that's exactly what the father does. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He, 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 he runs, initiating this reunion with his son. He doesn't wait for his son to get back to him and start begging. The father sees the son and runs after initiating that. He embraces him. And that son starts that speech Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. And before he can finish his speech, again, you look at the speech that the son prepared in verse 18 and 19. He never finishes his speech to his father because his father cuts him off. The dad doesn't chastise him. 
The dad doesn't call him names. The dad doesn't speak ill of him. No, the dad says, hey, servants, I want you to go get my best robe. I want you to get that ring, and I want you to put that ring on my son's hand to signify he is still a full son, a full member of my family. We're going to grill some steaks. We're going to throw a party because my son who was dead is now alive. And I love this story because the father, he never forgot his son. He never lost his love and affection for his son, his esteem for the son, and never changed. And I want you to notice that the text, I want you to notice what the father does not say. The father does not say, well, it's okay, son. I understand why you left. I know my rules were hard to follow. I'll relax my rules for you. No, notice the father never says that. Why? Because I don't think the father's rules were the problem. The father's rules, his way of life was rooted in truth, was rooted in who God is. The problem was the son didn't want to follow the rules. And only after the son is weighed down by sin and trying to chase things and make things on his own, only then does the son realize that his father's yoke was actually easy and his burden was light. How many of us have learned that story? We've tried to pursue life on our own. We've tried, and when we're bound by sin, we realize, man, the father's yoke was actually pretty easy and his burden was light and it was worth it. Now, we can't tell the story of the prodigal son without looking at the older brother. The older brother is, in verse 25, he's working out in the field and he hears some music, he hears the dancing, and he's like, what's going on? And, and he's told by one of the servants, your father is throwing a party because your younger brother has come home. And the, uh, and the older brother gets really mad. He gets really mad. And so the father comes out to meet the older son and invite him into the party. But the older, bro- older brother is angry, and he refuses, and this is his words. He says, all these years, all these years, I've never disobeyed you. I did everything right. Yet, Dad, you never threw me a party. You never invited my friends to come and celebrate with us. And the father says, I know, son. And then the older brother says, but now that this son of yours, can't even call him his brother. The older brother says, now this son of yours, who has devoured your money, your inheritance through prostitutes, Now that he's home, you throw him the greatest of all parties. Older brother says, I deserve it. I earned it. What about me? Don't you owe me because of all I've done for you? And the father says, listen, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. But this is a fitting celebration because your brother was dead and now he's alive. Your brother was lost and now he's found. And I love this because in this story you see The father invites both sons into the house. The father goes out and meets the younger brother, invites him into the home. We're going to celebrate with you. And then he goes out to the older brother and finds the older brother, invites him in. Hey, come celebrate with us. So he has this invitation to both of these sons to experience grace. See, this is a great story. I love this story. This has been called the greatest short story ever written. And again, you see the father representing God, the sons representing humanity. Let me ask you this, which, which son are you most like? Which son has been more characterized by your life? The younger son 
who has little need for God, who's tried to find fulfillment on his own through what the world has to offer? Or do you, do you feel more like the older son? I've tried to do everything just right. I've tried to follow everything you say. And God, you owe me because I'm such a good person. See, this story, again, this idea of coming home, this story teaches us that home is a place filled with love and grace and hope. Coming home means we come home to a place filled with love and grace and hope. Neither, neither of these sons, neither one of them could grasp that the father's relationship in coming home was, was built on grace. The, the sons had to learn that there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do that would make the Father love us any less. And there's nothing that we could do that could make, us, make God love us any more. Because for us to come home to God is rooted solely in the grace of the Father. So here's, here's what the story means for us. This idea, home for the holidays, there's two application points I want to take out of this story. Number one, as we have an invitation this morning to come home to God. See, this idea of coming home to God is, is ingrained in creation. It's ingrained within us. Because we are created for a relationship with the Father. And that Father, God the Father, He doesn't force us to love Him. He doesn't force it upon us. He lets us try to find fulfillment apart from Him. He lets us make those choices to wander and to pursue love and peace from things that will never satisfy us. He loves us enough to let us go and try it on our own. The Father doesn't force us to, to, to love Him as well as the Father lets us try to be good enough on our own. He lets us try to be religious only to find that that ends in futility as well because we can never be good enough. And see here as we enter into this Christmas season, and again, Christmas brings that idea of coming home. We long to go home to a place that we are loved, known, and safe. We experience warmth and joy and love. Listen, here's the invitation. To come home to your, <coughs> to come home to your Father in heaven. Because that deep longing that we have for home. Listen, our earthly family, our earthly home can be a picture of it. But... At best, it can never fulfill that deep longing with inside of us. That longing to be safe, to be known, to be loved, to have peace is ultimately fulfilled when we come home to our relationship with God the Father. So that's the invitation for you this morning is to come home to a relationship with the Father in heaven. The question is, well, how do we do that? How do we come home to God the Father? Again, I'd look at the pattern from the prodigal son, the younger son, First thing he had to do is he had to acknowledge his rebellion against God. He said, God, I've, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the Father. We've got to acknowledge our rebellion that we tried to find peace and love and meaning and joy from things other than God, from what the world has to offer, our own ideas rather than turning to God. Number one, we acknowledge our rebellion. Number two, we recognize what God has done for us on the cross. Because it's what Christ has done on the cross that makes it possible for us to go home. Because here we are, we're off in the far country thinking we don't need God, we, don't, we can do things on our own. While we're off in the far country, God loved us enough to send His Son Jesus to the cross 
to live, to, 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 to suffer and die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the penalty for our punishment. And then he rose from the grave proving, proving the love that God has for us. John 16, 6, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Number one, we have to acknowledge our rebellion. Number two, we have to recognize the, God, the grace of God through the cross. And number three, we have to let the Father receive us. Again, here's what the Son does. The Father comes out and meets him. And he actually has to allow the Father to, he can't, he can't change himself into a servant. See, the promise, the, the promise, and here's my promise to you, is that when you are willing to, to come home to the Father, I promise you that God has been waiting for you. God has been watching, waiting for that moment that you come to him. And just like the, the father of the prodigal son, I promise you, God will come out running to meet you. He will run to meet you. He will receive you with open arms. And that is the invitation for you this morning to come home to God, to experience love and warmth and joy and hope and peace and forgiveness and acceptance that fills the deepest longings of your heart. Home for the holidays, the story tells us, number one, we have an opportunity to come home to God. And number two, we have an opportunity to help others find their way home. Again, I want us to remember the context of this story. Again, Jesus is responding to the accusation that he eagerly receives sinners and eats with them. And through these parables, Jesus says, that is exactly who I am. I am somebody who eagerly welcomes sinners. In fact, there's a, there's a book called uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Harry Newman. And this is what Harry Newman writes about the prodigal son. He says, our, our growth as a Christian requires that we eventually grow into the role of the father, which requires that coming to our senses, that we embrace the objective of the father of helping people find their way home. See, that is, as we grow in our faith, the question will be, will we help others find their way home? See, now, as we're going through the series, as we're looking at home for the holidays, as we think about the Christmas music filling our homes and the decorations and the family celebrations, what kind of family celebration are you anticipating? What are you picturing for your celebration this Christmas season? Is everybody going to be there? Or is there someone in your family who's absent? Is there someone that should be there, but they're going to be absent because of the past? Because there's brokenness in the past. There's feuds. There's misunderstandings. There's shame. There's stubborn pride. You start thinking about that family gathering. Who is not there that should be there? See, I'd ask this as we think about this idea of home for the holidays. Which role in the prodigal story will you play this Christmas season? Will you be that younger brother? Are you that younger brother that says, I, that says give me? That says, that says, I don't need you. Are you the one that says, I don't need the family. I don't need it to belong. I don't need that. Listen, ultimately, the younger brother found himself destitute, longing for home. Maybe for you, maybe you're going to be the older brother. You're the one who's keeping score. 
for what everybody else has done wrong. You're going you're gonna to target members of the family that you think aren't good enough, that have screwed up, that are unworthy. You're not willing to forgive them. Or will you take the role of the father who was ruled by love, who wasn't dissuaded by stubbornness and the vengefulness of others? Will you be like the father who believed in the power of hope that far outshines the hurt of past offenses? So you know what Scripture says? Scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not our judgment, not our criticism, not our lecturing, not our harsh words. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And as we've talked about the last couple of months, we've talked about being people who are filled with the Spirit, that are displaying the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Maybe perhaps that through our kindness, through our willingness to love those who aren't worthy. Maybe God would give us the opportunity to work amongst our family. And it might just be the spark that God uses to transform that family member that creates all the problems, to change their heart, to change their life. Listen, I can't guarantee, I can't guarantee that you're going to see a reunion like the prodigal son. I can't guarantee everything's going to be beautiful. But I'll say this. There will be no reunion unless somebody is willing to take the role of the father. Unless somebody is willing to take the initiative. See, there are so many families who don't find healing because they're still concerned over what the other person did. They're still waiting for the other person to relent. So many of us have homes that will not change because we keep selling, telling the same old stories. We still, still keep picking the same old, old wounds. My challenge to you is to play the role of the Father, to invite others in, to invite that family member in. And maybe if you're like, well, I ain't got no families around me. I don't got no people around me. Listen, there are people around us who are still longing for home, people that are longing to be a place that they can be loved, accepted, and known, and find peace and joy. Let me tell you, this series is meant to be practical help for us to play the role of a father. Next week, we're going uh, to look at family history. Maybe you're like me and you've got family history that's a disaster. You've got brokenness and all over in the past. We're going to look how God redeems our family history. In two weeks, we're going to look at some real practical help on what are the, the practical things that we can do that, that my God might use to, to redeem our family gathering this Christmas season. That's what this series is all about. It's a challenge for us to play the role of the Father, to create a home that is a place, a safe place of hope and love and peace. In fact, I want to close by a story from Ernest Hemingway. He writes about a father and son who had a strained relationship. And it got so bad that the son, the teenage son, he ran away. He said, I'm, I'm gone. I'm leaving. The father, the father was heartbroken. And he starts on a journey to search for this rebellious son. He searches high and low to no avail. He can't find his son. Finally, 
The father ends up in Madrid, Spain of all places. And his last desperate attempt to find his son, he puts an ad in the newspaper. The ad simply says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon tomorrow. I love you, son. All is forgiven. Love your father. You know, the next day, 800 Pacos showed up in front of the newspaper office, all longing for forgiveness, all longing for the love of a father, all longing for home. See, I think the people around us are in the same situation. They're longing for for forgiveness. They're longing for love. They're longing to come home. The birth of Jesus is a reminder of the fact that Jesus came to extend an incredible love and forgiveness towards us. And as Christians, as recipients of that amazing love, of that forgiveness that we don't deserve, listen, God expects us to extend that love and forgiveness to others. So here we are in this season, the Christmas season, when we talk about love and joy and peace and and, and hope. This is a perfect time for us to make the first move. To say to that person in our family, to say to that person in our community, listen, you are always welcome in my home. You're welcome in my family. You're welcome in my life. You are welcome in my heart. We have an invitation like the Father to take the initiative.